1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 3 through 7 and 31 through 51. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of wars from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet with David, 
And David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Well, good morning. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here and really glad you're with us. Thank you, Jordan, for reading that passage, a long passage. And so thank you for reading. Thank you for standing as she read a long portion of scripture this morning. Uh, if you are a first time guest or you've been starting to come to our church, uh, we're glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back and you feel welcome uh, here at Christ Central Church. We started last week a series on the life of David, uh, our study in First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. And this morning, as Jordan just read our passage, we are looking at what may be for some of you a familiar story, the story of David and Goliath. It's a passage that we looked at years ago as a church, but we're going to look at again this morning. Uh, and so I'm going to pray before we jump in, if you will, uh, pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you're with us, that you reveal yourself to us. This morning, the Word of God is living and active, and so we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our spirit, that we would have ears to hear, uh, that you would give us minds engaged with your truth, that our hearts would be inflamed with uh, who you are as we encounter you this morning through your Word. Remove me so that you, Jesus, might be seen and experienced. We pray that you would do this in a, in a real and tangible way that would change us as a result of being with you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of months ago, my in-laws were visiting us and my father-in-law and our oldest son and their dog, and I were in the backyard playing with all kinds of balls, and I was raking leaves. We were having a good time, and we enjoy spending time in our backyard when the weather permits. We don't go out in our front yard very often because uh, we live on a very busy street. It's a street where cars are going 50 miles an hour past our house. So we like to play in the backyard where there's a fence to keep our two boys safe and, uh, and secure and prevent them from wandering into the front uh, of our house where there is danger of 50 mile an hour cars whizzing by. So this day, my father-in-law and our oldest son uh, and the dog and myself were playing and we were hitting Nerf golf balls around in the backyard, kind of picking holes and uh, my father-in-law hits the golf ball and it goes over the fence uh, and I'm kind of raking leaves and he goes and he locks the fence uh, and so it's just me and my son and the dog in the back and I'm, I'm raking and all of a sudden I look up and realize that somehow my two and a half year old son had figured out for the first time how to unlock the fence uh, and so I panicked, I dropped my rake and I yelled immediately, Henry get back here and I took off. Because all I could envision was my two-and-a-half-year-old son walking down the driveway and these cars whizzing by. No ability to stop them, no ability to tell them to slow down. And as I ran down the driveway, thankfully I looked up and he and the dog were on the front porch, uh, kind of laughing and playing. And my heart was pounding. I was deeply afraid in that moment. I was full of fear. In that moment, I was out of control 
My son was out of my sight. He was outside the safety of our backyard. I didn't have the means or resources to do anything if a car was to whiz by, and the thought of losing my child made and still makes me shudder. I was afraid. Fear. Fear is what we're looking at this morning in this passage of 1 Samuel 17. And I love the definition of fear that Dan Allender gives. Listen to how Allender defines fear. Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. When we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face that we are helpless and out of control. Let me kind of break that down. Fear is a response when we face a danger that comes by a force that overwhelms us, it makes us uncertain about our own resources, and we face the reality that we are helpless and out of control. Fear was my response that day in our backyard. Fear was a little bit of my response earlier when the projector stopped working. Also, my heart's like, ah, there's a projector, right? As someone who likes to control, (laughs) I was out of control. Fear is a response for many of us when we think about our future. Fear is a response that we can feel if we're honest and we look at our own hearts and we wonder, am am I ever going to change in certain ways that I've always struggled with? Am I ever going to grow? Am I ever going to be different with the struggles that I have? Fear is a response that many feel in our society because they've been marginalized or oppressed by either an individual or by systems within our society. When we face many of these dangers, we feel out of control. And when we're honest, we don't feel like we have the resources within us to defeat the assaulting force. The passage of David and Goliath, that's a war passage. Israel versus the Philistines, David versus Goliath. And as Christians here in the United States, I think it is easy, if you're a Christian, to forget that the Bible tells us that we have always been and still are in a very real spiritual war. From Genesis 1, we have seen that we are in a cosmic battle. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible tells us that if we are Christians, we are facing the danger of a war being waged by the unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That the world is assaulting us. The world... There are global systems, global structures that we are a part of that promote and foster sin. Things like greed and lust and injustice and addiction and hatred for another. The devil is an assaulting force. The enemy that was so real, Jesus talked to him. And he's so real that he will whisper to us. He's like a roaring lion waiting to engage us when we least expect it. And then there's the flesh, this assaulting force, this force of sin that lies within everybody's heart. That struggle you have had for a long time and you wonder, will it ever go away? The sin that others may never see, but it's been haunting you and still haunts you. And you wonder, will I ever change? Fear is a very real response for all of us. When we're assaulted by one or any are all three of these forces. When we realize we're out of control and we don't have the resources within ourselves to defeat the assault. So what I want to do this morning is take this familiar wartime story and apply it to us and our wartime living and ask this question, how do we face our fears? 
How do we face our fears? In the story of David and Goliath, we see two wrong ways and then a third right way to deal with fear. Three main characters in the story. Goliath, Saul, and David. Goliath and Saul show us how not to face our fears. David shows us the true way. This is the second introduction of David in the book of Samuel. Last week we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 16 where David, David the shepherd boy, is tending the sheep. He was forgotten by his father and his brothers, yet he was the chosen anointed king of Israel. And I'm going to come back to that at the end of my sermon. But this is the second introduction of David. And this gives us David in another light. Here David comes to the valley of Allah, a valley in which fear and hate and arrogance have been stirring and cooking for weeks. On the opposite sides of this valley amidst the hilltops encamp great enemies. The Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other. Among the Philistines you have their champion Goliath shouting at the Israelites to come into the valley and fight. Yet no one dared go into the valley. It was the valley of death. So the first character I want to look at is Goliath, who reveals to us how not to face fear. Goliath is described in verses 4 to 7 of our passage. He is gargantuan, almost nine feet tall. That's not a myth. Uh, the Bible talks about a people, the Anakim, who were extremely tall, seven, eight, nine feet. Uh, as there was diversity of ethnicity early on in the Bible, there is a diversity of height uh, that I wish I would have gotten, but I didn't. So uh, I got the diversity just on the short side. Well, should I have gotten the nine feet side? Goliath is nine feet. The armor of Goliath is 125 pounds. The spear of his javelin alone weighs 25 pounds. And he stands there and he shouts across the valley in verse 8, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Many people will read the story. Maybe you've heard it preached before and talked about. And the only thing that we can focus on is that Goliath represents the giants in your life. That Goliath is that boss at your work that you're just having a difficult time with. Or he's the mean kid in your school. Or he's the political party that you differ with any opposition that you might face that's Goliath and then David is showing you how to face your fear and defeat your giant we have been told go and be like David and as I said last week I pray you never leave here thinking you need to be like David Goliath is much more than just a giant in this story it's much more than just a giant Robert Alter who as a Hebrew professor at the University of California in Berkeley, writes that one of the uh, problems for modern-day readers is that we are used to modern novels, which give us much detail. But great detail in Hebrew narrative, Hebrew story, does not give detail. It's rare. But in this narrative, there is great detail, detail given to Goliath. Nine feet tall, a helmet of bronze, armed with a coat of mail, Weighed 125 pounds, bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze. The spear of his javelin weighed 25 pounds. And verse 4 says that Goliath is a champion. An altar says we are missing the point if we think David is the hero and Goliath is the villain. 
He says, Goliath is a champion and David is a champion. Goliath and, da- and David represent two alternate ways of dealing with fear. And Goliath, he's strong. He's powerful. A man does not lack self-esteem. He's mocking the Israelites. He believes no one can defeat him. He is the epitome of self-reliant. And this is the one way we are not to face fear. Yet it is the most common way we have been taught to face our fear. It's the teaching from Oprah to Dr. Phil to Tony Robbins to even many who call themselves Christians. It is the approach of pop psychology. Face your fear first to understand you have control. Secondly, change your internal dialogue. Start start talking to yourself and tell yourself you can and you will overcome your fear. There is nothing to be afraid of. You see, the world tells us to wake up every morning and put on the glasses of self-dependence. Tell yourself each morning that you can and you will accomplish whatever you want. Some Christians will say, be like David. Have faith and you can do anything that you want. We get mature in our versions of this, but this is what I did when I was 13 years old, playing Babe Ruth baseball. I wrote on the bill of my hat, Philippians 4.13, which many professional athletes still write, which Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which for me meant I could hit a home run, I'm going to pitch a perfect game, I'm going to get the game-winning hit, right? I can do all things if I just believe enough. Tim Keller calls this a spiritualized version of Goliath courage. That if I believe enough, bad things will not happen. And as I said last week, that is dangerous and harmful. It may be the reason some of you feel discouraged in your relationship with Christ. It may be a reason some of you are wavering if you even want to believe in Christianity. Because here's the truth, bad things happen to good people. If you think and live with a spiritualized Goliath courage and God does not take away the bad thing, you will waver on trusting Him. God does not promise in this life that bad things will not happen to good people. In fact, He says there will be suffering. It's deeply harmful. If you live life thinking, you just need to believe more. Spiritualized Goliath courage, approaching life wearing the lens of self-reliance that as Christians we can even mask with spiritual verbiage of believe more. This is Goliath's way. It's not God's way. We'll see a little bit later that true courage and facing fear resides in something other than being head and shoulders taller than other people. So let's look at the second way not to face our fear. This one's the most obvious to us. It's seen in the character of Saul, the king of Israel. Here's the mocking of Goliath, and verse 11 says he was dismayed and greatly afraid. The Philistines, they were the arch rivals of the Israelites. They lived in Canaan along the coast, which meant they had experience building ships and, and, and making weaponry. They were a people that enjoyed good food and, and, and good wine. Uh, they had a lot that they availed themselves to. And so the Philistines in and of themselves were an intimidating people and an extremely intimidating army. They were a formidable foe. And so when the Israelites saw the Philistines, they realized we cannot beat them with our own resources. Saul the king is dismayed and greatly afraid. Of all the 
people that should have gone into that valley, it was Saul. He was the representative. He was the king. He should have gone to fight this giant. But not only that, Saul was no small man himself. He was close to seven feet tall. Scripture tells us that he's head and shoulders above the rest of the army. But Saul is leading the Israelites in fear. See, Goliath is self-reliant, blinded to the possibility of defeat, and Saul is a coward and only sees defeat. And at times, we face our fears like Goliath. We could tell ourselves to not fear that we can defeat anything, and at other times, we face our fear like Saul. We want to run away as far as possible. Approaching fear like Saul is tempting. It is tempting to run away. It is tempting to want to hide when things get scary. I mean, what do we do when the world, the flesh, and the devil assault us when we realize we don't have the resources within us? Fleeing is one easy way to deal with it. And we can flee by multiple ways. We can divert our attention and our time to something new, a new endeavor all the time, or, or we can move to a new city all the time. We just keep running as things come into our lives. Or we can give ourselves to an addiction that can numb us to the pain that we feel and the fear that resides within. Or we can flee by shutting down and compartmentalizing our lives. Act like it doesn't bother us. Many ways to flee. One major indicator that we might deal with fear by fleeing is to look and examine how well we do relationships. Examine how many close, real friends you have in your life. Now, I'm not talking about social media friends. I'm not talking about like seeing people out and about and, and like, texting people, hey, what's up, like really quick. I'm talking, or, or even on a Sunday morning, seeing people here and saying hello. I'm talking about people that really know you, to the depths of who you are, real relationships where people know all of you. Deep, meaningful relationships. Here's why I say it's a major indicator. Deep, meaningful relationships can only be forged by remaining. You have to stay in a relationship. You cannot run and be in a meaningful relationship. Even in the midst of hurting somebody or somebody touching parts of your heart that you've been wanting to hide, to have a good relationship, even when threatened, you have to remain. You can't run. So pulling away from people, closing down, shelling up, compartmentalizing, running away is how Saul dealt with his fear. Saul and Goliath shows how not to deal with fear. So let's look at the right way to face our fear in the midst of danger from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see it in David. Look at David. He comes to the valley of Allah very different than Saul and the Israelites. I mean, David shows up and Goliath is dominating the scene. The Israelites and Saul, they're cowering in fear. Goliath is the center of their world. See, the Israelites and the Saul have an, have, have an imagination that's dominated by Goliath. Therefore, it's dominated by fear. David enters the valley with an imagination dominated by God. So David's floored. Everybody was cowering before this giant, and, he, and he's thinking, aren't these men listed in the army of the living God? See, listen to me here. Giants did not figure into David's world, his real world. Last week I made this point that the gospel of Christianity, the story of redemption that's revealed in the Bible, is meant to absorb our world, not 
our world absorb the Scriptures? Meaning the Bible and the Gospel tells us what's true and true reality. And so David is doing just this when the giants aren't factoring into his world. Because God is dominating his imagination. It's like when you go to a 3D movie and you wear 3D glasses and the purpose is to get you to envision yourself as part of the story. David enters the valley wearing the right glasses. The lenses of salvation He knows the God of salvation. He enters with a God worldview. Listen to the two speeches he gives. The first one in verse 32. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. I mean, David's the shepherd boy. (laughs) Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul interjects, you're not able. You're but a youth. He's a warrior giant. And then David continues in verse 34. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I struck and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Eugene Peterson says, David was so used to the immediacy of God, the presence, the nearness of God, intending the sheep and hearing his voice, that God was more real than the lions and the bears. I started the novel Silence last week by Shusaku Endo, I think is how you pronounce. The movie just came out, directed by Martin Scorsese. The story about priests and Japan in the 17th century, a period of time when there was intense persecution towards Christians. And the purpose of the persecution was to get Christians to denounce their faith and to recant and turn away and claim to not be a Christian. And the Japanese used horrific ways to martyr and inflict suffering. And as I was reading this book, it wasn't intended, as I was reading this book this week and preparing for this sermon, I thought those who willingly died and were graphically tortured and suffered for their faith in Jesus had the same imagination as David. A God-dominated imagination that the immediacy and presence and nearness of God was more real to them than the persecution and opposition that they faced. God was more real to David than lions and bears. God was more real to David than this giant called Goliath. Next in the story, Saul tries to clothe David with his armor, and David takes it off. David wasn't going to fight this giant with Saul's armor. He was going to fight in his own personal way. Let me give you just a side note here. You cannot fight your fears relying on the armor of other people. If you are a Christian, you cannot rely on hearing other people talk about Jesus or hearing other people talk about their prayer life, or hearing other people talk about how God is at work in their life, and then enter into battle using their armor. Each of us must have a unique experience of God, where we are personally experiencing God in a real way, to the point that God's voice and His grace and His love and His word are more real to us than the fears that we face in our world. You know, Ephesians 6 speaks about the armor of God in the New Testament. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, 
And he calls the Christians to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the only offensive weapon, Paul says, that we have as we fight this war against the world, the flesh, and the devil is the Word of God. The Scriptures given to us so that we can know the God of the Scriptures. See, David knew God. He knew Him. So when David entered into battle with the weapon of who God is, look at his posture in the valley. Kneeling down, he picked up five smooth stones. On one side, there's this taunting, self-reliant giant, and on the other, there's a cowering king. See, David is framing for us the Christian life, that to move out in battle, we have to see clearly. And to see clearly, we have to be experiencing the presence of God in our lives personally. And God has to be more real than the world out there. The giant mocks David. And then David gives his second speech in verse 45. Look at it. It says, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. David knows where his strength comes from. David knows whose battle this is. It's the Lord's battle. And the Lord's going to give victory. And then all of a sudden, I love it. This one, an amazing motion picture here, a scene of where David is no longer kneeling, but he stands up and he runs towards the giant. Takes out a stone and he shoots it and he nails Goliath right in the forehead and Goliath falls down. In verse 51, this would not be a G-rated movie because David takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. It's victory. Victory. So who are we in this story? Are you Goliath? Are you Saul? Are you David? If we want to put ourselves in the right place, we have to put ourselves as the onlookers. We're one of the army. See, David was the champion that day. David was the savior of the cowards, not an example for them. God did not send an example in David, but a savior. He was a savior who won through weakness, a shepherd boy with five stones defeating the giant. He was a representative for Israel, a substitute. Goliath says, choose one who will fight and whoever wins that side will be counted as if they were the victor. So David was the champion that day, but all of Israel would be counted as victors. So the point of the story is not to go be like David and go slay your giants. The point of the story is there a, there's a greater hero and greater Savior than David. A Savior who conquered through weakness. Whereas David takes Goliath's own sword, cuts off his head to save his life, Jesus takes the weapon of our enemy, death. And he gives himself up in death on a cross to vanquish death for all time. Jesus is a Savior who himself faced his fears not uh, by kneeling, not in a valley, but in a garden. And in that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus rose up and with joy ran to the cross where the final battle would be won through the cross and through a rolled away stone. Jesus is a Savior who's our representative. His victory, His conquering of the enemy is now counted, is now credited to all who believe in Him. Jesus is the champion, and all who believe in Him are united to Him. And what's true of Him is true of us. So what? How are you to face your giants? How are you to face your fears as we live in the midst of this war? As I said at the beginning, 
I'd come back to chapter 16 where David was anointed as king. And I love verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16 where the Spirit of God rushed upon David. And the next scene we have is this scene in chapter 17, David defeating the giant. See, that's the normative pattern of Scripture. Gideon in Judges has the Spirit of the Lord come upon him and he defeats the armies in battle. Samson had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him and he defeats in battle. Jesus is baptized in Luke chapter 3 and the Spirit comes upon him and right after that he enters into 40 days of battle and temptation with the devil and comes out victorious. The church in Acts, Jesus tells them to wait until the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and from Acts to the end of the New Testament we see God's kingdom winning on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is our representative. He did not leave us alone. He has given us His Holy Spirit. And it's not a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and love. And the battles that we will face, they're not ours to fight, but the Lord's. It's not by might or strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord that we face our fear. So when we wake up each morning, because every day is a battle between the world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't wear the glasses of self-reliance. Don't have a, a Goliath courage, and don't think you need to be like David. Wake up and put on the glasses of the gospel. You have a Savior who conquered through His death and was raised victorious and sent His Spirit to indwell every individual believer and the church as a body. And the Spirit of Christ will give you boldness. For this story of salvation is more real than what we face in our world. So rejoice that we have a great hero, a great Savior Jesus, and He will win the battle. Amen? Let's pray. God, I ask that You would help us to, to look to You, Jesus, in a world that tells us to slay our giants and that we're able or when we're honest and we are tempted to, to run away in oftentimes some creative ways, I pray that we would see Jesus, the, the one who has conquered for us for all times through his death and through his resurrection and, and through sending the Spirit of God to dwell with us, that we would see Christ and, and that we would bring our fears to you and that you would give us your peace as the one who rules over all and reigns over all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.